The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Hey, what's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 276 for Thursday, February 26, 2014. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. Much like the disclaimer said at the start of the broadcast, listener and viewer discretion is advised. Our MMA and wrestling shows air every Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. And our gaming and entertainment editions air on Thursdays at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Uh, A couple of things for this week. Uh, We're probably going to be doing some live streaming tomorrow throughout the day. Um, I will make sure to share all the details on our Facebook fan page for Rageworks and My Take Radio, so you guys can check it out. We're going to probably stream some retro stuff. Um, I got a couple of retro games that I may throw out there just to test the streams. I haven't done streaming in a while, so I figured we'll do that. Maybe we'll do some next-gen console stuff as well. Um, like I said, we're going to be testing some hardware, so it's going to be you know, an hour here, maybe an hour there. Depending on how it goes, maybe it might go a little longer, but I will definitely keep you guys in the loop. We also got a brand new edition of Black is the New Black from Ben and Taylor. Uh, Those guys did a really great job with this week's episode. We are currently in the process of editing, and that will be available later on this evening. In addition to that, we are working on some new giveaways with some stuff we got from Toy Fair. Uh, Be on the lookout for that because we are probably going to be doing one of those giveaways maybe tomorrow or during the weekend I know we got some real cool Halo stuff from Mega Bloks and some Masters of the Universe stuff. Um, not going to spoil what the Masters of the Universe stuff is, but I think a lot of you guys that are really uh, old school 80s babies are going to appreciate it and um, are going to want to get your hands on this particular item. In addition, um, like I said on yesterday's show, we are beta testing some forums and I may reach out to a couple of listeners to help us beta test and um, see if it's going to be a fit for us. Like I said, I'm really unsure if I'm going to pull the trigger on the forums or go with the Facebook groups. As always, your input is always appreciated, so feel free to reach out via social media, email, or any other outlet, and let me know your thoughts 
one thing we did talk about yesterday during our wrestling and MMA segment was the hashtag WWE uh, alternate WWE universe, which we're going to try and do some stuff with that over the coming weeks. And once we get something together, we're going to be reading all of those entries with those hashtags on air. And who knows, maybe the entry that's at least shared a handful of times, maybe retweeted a handful of times. will find a way to do some sort of a giveaway for that as well. Um, what's on deck for tonight? We got a ton of gaming news. We got a fair amount of entertainment news as always. And of course, we will be taking your calls 347-324-3541. One thing I did want to say before we get into the gaming and uh, entertainment for the week, I did want to mention that we're going to start doing more guest spots. I know it's been a little quiet on the guest front for, I'd like to say, the last 100 episodes or so. But we're working on bringing um, a couple of returning guests back and, of course, a bunch of new guests as well. As you already know, we're well past the 275 episode mark. Before you know it, MTR 300 will be around the corner. No idea what I want to do for our 300th episode. I think I still got a little bit a little bit of time to plan that out. But I know that it's going to probably be something a little outside of the box. But in any case, as we get closer, we'll definitely start putting stuff together. And we're also going to try and cover more events in the coming week. So you're going to see some stuff with regards to that as well. All right, let's get into the week's gaming news. There's much to discuss, and I want to get that ball rolling, so let's get to it. All right, so a lot of crazy stuff came out of the out of the gaming space this week. The first thing I want to talk about is a news item that we mentioned during last week's show, and it was rumored the week prior and that was the Gold Amiibos. As we are getting closer and closer to the month of March, the certainty of the Gold Amiibo is pretty much validated by the fact that it is being released. Um, first up, it's going to be a Gold Mario Amiibo exclusively available at Walmart for twelve ninety six. dollars uh, That's going to be available starting March 20th. And, you know, it's one of those things where, depending on how this sells, I'm sure they're going to start releasing other variants and other types of collectible versions since Nintendo seeing that a secondary market is being created. I do want to say that there's actually, aside from a reseller's market, there's also a customization market that's really starting to take off. I'm seeing a lot of people that are incredibly creative doing some really cool stuff with the Amiibos, customizing them. Um, I saw somebody do the, um, the shiny Mario. I saw different color Yoshi's. I saw Yoshi's breathing fire. I've seen people do some really cool stuff with super sculpt material and, you know, double and triple amiibos. And I think that's really cool. I think the level of customization and creativity that's out there is amazing. And to that, with with that respect, I think that that's going to create something interesting and unique for collectors. I've seen a lot of that happening also with Funko's and Funko has even gone as far as doing um, blank Funko figures that you can customize yourself. So I think that this is going to be the beginning of something completely outside of the normal scope. I've seen a couple of different customization options that are still being used in game because at the end of the day, if you're not changing the base, you're not, um, you know, it's not affecting gameplay at all. But again, aside from the people that are purchasing it for general use, you have your resellers and you have your people that are doing amazing customizations. I'm going to drive. I'm going to see if the people that have done customizations that I like will let me share them with you guys on social media just so you guys can check it out and who knows maybe it'll inspire you guys to buy 
uh, a double or a triple of something and have a little fun with that. I will say this. There are a couple of Amiibos that I'd buy for myself strictly for decorative purposes. I definitely want to pick up a Bowser one just because he's uh, one of one of my favorite characters. So that one probably will be seen in the background at some point during a show in the near future. As you've noticed, uh, the Funko collection is getting a little, a little out of hand. Probably going to need a third shelf. And um, there's a few that are on my radar still that I'm going to try and pick up. Some Kill Bill ones and a couple of other properties. But nonetheless, I think that what's going on with the Amiibos is great. But I also feel that people that are hoarding them and reselling them for ridiculous amounts of money are just are just really ruining what's what's a, a pretty cool accessory for on Nintendo's part. I will say this though, if if you are a reseller, and I, again, I'm not knocking your hustle. Just re, just you know, if you want to make a couple of bucks, that's fine. But let's not get crazy. I know guys already that are talking about going to a couple of different WalMarts and scooping up four or five of these at a time, and you know, that that really fucks things up for those that just want to pick one up for the sake of owning one or maybe using it in game. So, again, if if you are a reseller and you got the hustle, man, it's fine. But just just don't ruin it for everybody else, because that's that's one of those things that, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of fun out of things. And there's there's still kids that want to pick those up. I mean, don't get me wrong. The adult collectors are out there doing what they got to do. And again, I'm not knocking your hustle, but leave some shit out there for everybody else. That's all I'm saying. Last week, we also talked about the rumors of the return of Rock Band and also the return of Guitar Hero. And actually, the story picked up some real mainstream press. Bloomberg Business actually reported that Harmonix is developing a new installment of their franchise, which will be making its debut on next-gen consoles. Of course, where Guitar Hero is, Rock Band will surely follow. And I think given the advances in just technology as a whole... And the amount of digital distribution that's out there, I think it's a good time to see a resurgence of music-themed games. But like anything else, music-themed games have a place. My big concern, as always, is oversaturation. And I think that's one of the reasons why the genre just took a huge nosedive back in the day. Because, you know, you had um, Guitar Hero, Band Hero, then you had Rock Band... Then you had DJ Hero, you know, before you know it, we were waiting for Harmonica Hero, Kazoo Hero, and and Saxophone Hero, and it was just getting way out of hand, and I think, again, digital distribution has come so far, there's so much, there's so much music out there, there's so many ways to access um, really, really great music that I think it's a great opportunity to, like I said, bring the brands back, but you have to do it in a way that's not going to oversaturate the market, again, DLC is your friend in this situation. I know a lot of people have been a little upset with the current trends in DLC, but I think that releasing a standalone game with some accessories and maybe just doing some artist packs down the road and pricing them in in a in a fair in a fair way I think will help the brand just kind of gain a foothold once again. I mean, there's people out there that you know, they want to play a little Alice Cooper or they want to play some Guns N' Roses, or Metallica, or the Beatles, or whatever the case may be, and I think that if you do song catalogs like that, and you release them, you know, you charge five or six bucks a piece, you can have a lot of fun with that, and I know people that played Rock Band with groups of friends that had just great times with it, so I think it's a great fit for next-gen consoles, and again, it's just the oversaturation that kills it, I'm sure that once we get some firm commitments, we will be able to share them with you guys. A bit of news that that jumped 
pretty much to the top of most gamers' radar this week was, number one, the brand new Arkham Knight trailer, which you can see on RageWorks.net, but number two was the announcement that Batman Arkham Knight had earned an M rating. Um, you know, Rocksteady revealed the news today, IGN reported it, of course, Arkham Asylum and Arkham City earned TRT ratings, uh, they earned T ratings, which is for teen, M, of course, is mature, and I think that when you look at the overall scheme of things, when it comes to Batman mythology, as much as you try to to downplay the amount of violence that's there, I think that if you want to depict Gotham City or the criminal element or even Batman in a, in a correct light, you're going to have to lean a little bit towards the R side of things. I mean, you know, breaking a criminal's leg or throwing a criminal out the window or gunfire or you know, criminals that see Batman, they're not going to be like, oh, no, it's the bat. They're going to be like, it's the fucking bat. And, you know, shit like that. It's 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 a natural progression of things. And again, nobody's saying that Batman's going to go out and stab people in the face or anything like that. But you also have to respect the source material and acknowledge it for what it is. It's what I've said with characters like Wolverine, uh, characters like the Punisher that you could you could take away so much. But those characters at their core are R-rated and just very violent characters. The same rules apply to Batman. I mean, as much as you have his, you know, his assorted rogues gallery, you do have some genuine psychopaths in there. I mean, the Joker's not running around handing people flowers and cupcakes. The guy's out there killing people left and right. The same applies to, you know, villains like the Scarecrow and uh, an assortment of Batman's rogues that take no prisoners. And I think that approaching the game in that in that way is going to give us the best and actually the most accurate Batman experience. I um I do got to say this and this is the thing that, you know, people are going to jump on immediately. They feel that the game hitting an M rating is going to alienate certain certain demographics. I disagree and the reason I say this is because even though the game is rated M for mature, I there's not going to be any nudity or any hardcore sexuality. It's probably just going to be some really aggressive ass whoopings. And I mean, if you if you touch on a little sexual innuendo, which could happen, it's not going to get crazy, folks. And again, I, you know, use your discretion if you're a parent or use your discretion if you work in a retail establishment and you see a kid come in to buy the game. But at the end of the day, you have to respect the source material. And I think that Rocksteady did a great job with Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, making them dark and gritty and keeping that T rating. But, you know, things have changed the culture has changed and you can take a couple of more liberties. I mean, a great example of this is even television. Now, back in the day, you couldn't get away with saying bitch or ass or, or certain things on TV. And, um, nowadays, you know, bitch is used on regular television. Ass gets said a lot, you know, obviously the more, the more hardcore, uh, curse words are not, but you know, Bitch is pretty much heard on most channels, you know, whether it's in comedies or or dramas. It's something that happens. Same thing with, um, you know, there's there's a decent amount of that just on regular broadcast cable in terms of just what's shown on those channels. So for a game like Batman, like I said, to get the M rating, even Slick said himself he felt that Arkham City could have been rated M. Um, a lot of pe- he also adds that I think a lot of people wanted it because the inmates spent half the time calling Catwoman a bitch. And that's what I mean. The words like bitch and, you know, ass and, you know, shit, depending on, on the on the on the demographic and in the context that is being used 
are going to alter the rating system a bit. And considering what Slick just cited about Catwoman being called a bitch, you would have thought that the game would have gone into the M-rated category, but it did not. Now, obviously things have changed, but I doubt that that's going to detract from what is already shaping up to be a memorable installment in the Arkham series. Again, that game comes out June 2nd for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and the PC. Of course, there are multiple versions of the game available for pre-order, so obviously use your own judgment. I am uh, probably going to pre-order the game in a couple of weeks. I'm debating if I want to get the Batmobile version just because I want it as a... um, you know, as a, as a collector's item more so than anything else. Slick adds, I think Arkham Knight is rated M probably due to violence more than language. Um, who knows? I mean, I'm sure that the violence is, is something that's, that's a no brainer at this point. Slick adds that the Batmobile version is gone. Yeah, it's gone to most people, but you know me, there's always, there's always a way if I want to get it again, I'm, I'm considering it. I got to figure out if it's worth the investment, but, um, you know, definitely, if you're going to pre-order the game, get your get yourself out there and try to pick it up sooner rather than later. I got to talk a little bit about Kickstarter campaigns and the fact that Kickstarter's become such a a great solution for people to get their stuff done. Crowdfunding, crowdsourcing have become just um amazing tools for people to get their ideas and to see their the certain products you know, make, make the light of day. I mean, there's no better example of that than Pebble, which recently announced their Pebble color watch. And they went right back to their roots on Kickstarter and just made record breaking amounts of money with this, you know, just sticking to their roots, going back to Kickstarter, letting people have an opportunity to, you know, influence the development of a product that for all intents and purposes has been extremely well received. I mean, if you are, um, an iOS owner that has been chomping at the bit for a smartwatch. Nine, nine out of 10 people I know that are iOS owners have made the jump to the Pebble smartwatch. And the minute that it was announced that a color version was going to be released, people jumped on board just the same, expressing their interest in picking it up. Of course, the Apple watch is around the corner, but we're talking about a watch from Apple. That's going to be at least $300, even more depending on which type you get versus a Pebble watch which you know is going to run you 179 um if you 159 if you got in early on the Kickstarter 179 and is going to retail for 199 uh Danny just told me that the Kickstarter campaign for the watch has made uh, is close to 11 million dollars again going back to their roots doing the right thing and this is what I'm saying and the reason I'm bringing this up is twofold number one I wanted to share that with you um because I think the smartwatch market is really picking up steam. I never thought in a million years that this Moto 360 that we reviewed recently would become a part of my day-to-day living. And the reason I say that is, yes, that's exactly where it's leading to, Slick. Thank you. Um, the fact is that this, um, you know, this smartwatch, I said to myself, smartwatches are fucking stupid. I didn't think that it was going to be uh, something that I'd use on the day-to-day, but I've realized that pulling the trigger on it. I use it. You know, I look at my phone less. I get the right alerts. I get the right notifications. It keeps me honest. If I don't move for an hour, it says, Hey, you haven't moved for an hour. Why don't you go for a walk? Things like that. And you know, you kind of become a slave to wanting to get your 10,000 steps in, et cetera, et cetera. But the whole reason why I'm mentioning this is because Kickstarter has also become very, very big in the development of games. And one game that jumped 
right right out as soon as I saw it that was getting the Kickstarter treatment was Toe Jam and Earl. Uh, right now, there's a Kickstarter campaign in full effect to try and bring back Toe Jam and Earl. Of course, in 1991, Toe Jam and Earl debuted about two alien rappers that crash land on Earth and journey to find pieces of their of their aircraft of their spacecraft. Excuse me. Um, the game was very well received. I liked the second game a little bit more, and um, I think that going this route for for properties like this is is probably the way to go because it keeps it keeps things honest. It doesn't make uh, the developer be a slave to, you know, trying to move numbers or trying to do stuff. I think that by doing things like this for niche titles, it's going to get us the games that we genuinely want. Of course, there are instances where Kickstarter campaigns have just never come to fruition to deliver the product that people paid for. But of course, there is a, a system in place to protect people that put money towards it. But, um, with Toe Jam and Earl, they're actually trying to bring this game uh, to fruition, courtesy of the game's co-creator. Uh, he is seeking $400,000 to complete the game, and already within hours of the announcement, the game had already received $75,000. He said, we want to go old school with it, um, fixed isometric camera, 2D sprites, real simple controls, and of course, an emphasis on co-op gameplay. I will definitely make sure to share those Kickstarter links with you guys um dark helmet in the chat says that he's a 15 dollars backer i'm probably gonna back the project tomorrow again this was a game that was um instrumental just in in my overall growth as a gamer uh, my first console of course being the nes later on the genesis and um that was a game that i ended up renting from a video store in the bronx on westchester avenue called star surge video and i remember i rented the game i brought it home and it was so vibrant so colorful and so weird that um, I found myself playing the game for hours upon hours on end. Um, when the sequel came out, I was there day one to rent it just the same. And um, a lot of these older titles that we would like to see, I think, would benefit from things like Kickstarter. Because think about it. You look at games like, and and this game is a guilty pleasure for me. If you guys remember Boogerman, the pick and flick adventure that was the same platform style game, you know, akin to Earthworm Jim, Toe Jam and Earl, where you had this guy going around throwing boogers and farting on people and stuff. And it was very juvenile and very silly. Um, Boogerman was a, a game that if it did a Kickstarter campaign, I'd probably support that too. Another game that really doesn't get um, a lot of love is uh, Sega Genesis Classic, which was released uh, via virtual console on the Xbox. And that is on the, uh, not the Xbox, the PlayStation 3 was Comic Zone. Uh, basically, Comic Zone was a Genesis title, really advanced for its time. Um, a comic book creator got sucked into his book and would fight his way through levels. Uh, very uh, Streets of Rage-ish, going through the panels, fighting his way through. And I really thought that that game, for, for its time, was incredibly advanced. I'd love to see something newer uh, released either by Sega or by another party and and really give that game the best treatment possible because I think that game really would connect not only with people that grew up in that genre but people that you know were are just fans of of the comic book medium. Again, I could go, go and rattle off a list of tons of retro games that would benefit from that treatment. But I applaud uh, Toe Jam and Earl's co-creator for going the extra mile trying to get the game made. And thus far, the funding has been. Uh, doing well, like I said, over over seventy five grand thus far. 
we're going to uh, we're going to be um contributing to that as well. Like I said, I grew up playing that game. I'd love to see an Earthworm Jim um Dark Helmet actually just informed me that Toe Jam and Earl have 143,000 of the 400,000 raised so far. Thank you Dark Helmet for that stat. Appreciate it. And um like I said, I'd love to see an Earthworm Jim, you know, a Boogerman, a Comic Zone, even a Vector Man game uh would definitely be be something I would support for sure. Uh, there was an old NES title that I played on an emulator not too long ago, and it, and it really brought back so many memories. It was Clash of Demon Head, which was a game that is very is considered obscure, but um, it's a game that I just I just saw when I when I bought my sister the top loading NES on eBay. I remember I picked up Clash of Demon Head for a dollar at a garage sale, and I played the game probably for a week straight before giving my sister the NES just because it was it was so nostalgic for me that I just got sucked in um I remember that that is true slick the you know Clash of Demon Head there was another one Battle of Olympus which I liked on the NES you know a lot of these classic games don't get enough love sometimes we become way too enamored with sprites and pixel counts and 1080p and 60 frames per second that we forget the stuff that really made us who we are and I want to actually use that to discuss something that's been going on with the game The Order, uh, The Order 1886, which has been receiving press both good and bad over the last couple of weeks since the game came out. And um, I want to touch on it a little bit without getting too deep. And the reason I want to is because we as gamers have become most of us, um, most of you know, most of us as as gamers have become slaves to really really grandiose expectations and sometimes if a game doesn't meet those expectations we automatically deem the game shitty even though the game has other redeeming qualities about it so in in the case of the order 1886 um there were a lot of people that were complaining about the game's five hour length and they felt that it wasn't worth sixty dollars or etc etc and you know there was a, a video put out by hip-hop gamer and it, it addressed the bias of gamers. It went as far as comp- uh, as comparing that bias to racial bias, which again, you could, you know, you can take that however you want. I'm not going to get into a whole big race debate, but I did want to share my take on it because again, it's it's where I'm coming from. And you either you disagree or you agree. You know, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. You know, everybody has free will to pick up what they want. But I will say this: those of us that are those of you that are sitting out there. Fingers at the ready on keyboards, on social media, complaining about the length of a game. Remember that in the old days, you would beat a game and you wouldn't get any endings. You'd get credits and that was it. Or sometimes you'd, you wouldn't even get an ending. You'd get a thanks for playing and that's it. And those are games that sometimes you finished over weeks, sometimes over months, sometimes over days. And I think that people's expectations with regards to that game were just way above the norm just because the game was incredibly was visually appealing everybody was so enamored with that visual appeal that they didn't think hey what if this game is short what if this game doesn't play well and in my in my opinion i will say that a lot of the, of the a lot of the expectations and a lot of the complaining about the order 1886 are just based on people jumping on the bandwagon it's like what i said yesterday about you know people um booing john cena etc etc in in that respect i will say that 
do your homework. Don't buy a game based on just visuals alone. Do your homework. And that's where and that's the first thing I want to say. We are an informed culture. There's videos, there's all this stuff. And Slick has mentioned this at length a couple of times when he's called in, in the sense that you play the game, you see a demo, and you jump on it and you buy it. Danny adds that for $60, I have higher expectations. I, I understand that, but I do want to say this. $60 does equal higher expectations, but there's been worse shit out there for $60. There's been worse shit out there. I'm going to give you guys a great example. When Ubisoft released Assassin's Creed, they essentially released a broken game. A broken game that people ran out there and spent $60 for that, the, that Ubisoft had to spend countless months trying to fix. That's not comparing it apples to apples, but I'm just saying most of the games that are coming out as beautiful and as pretty as they are, are fucking flawed. They're flawed. A lot of games that are coming out either have graphical graphic flaws, um, gameplay flaws, need patches on day one. There's so many different things going on that it, it, a game being five hours, eh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't warrant a $60 price tag, but considering the amount of fucking money that went into making the game look pretty, they're trying to make their money back somehow. Do I, do I agree with the assessment that, you know, the game is shitty? I, I'm not, I'm not going to jump on board and say that it is because I haven't, you know, I haven't picked it up yet. And that would be a disservice to you guys giving you an opinion on that. The only thing I'm giving you the opinion on is the unilateral, um, either, pro or con argument from people that either haven't played the game or have played essentially a limited version of the game. If you bought the game and you paid your 60 bucks and you feel you got your your money's worth, more power to you. If you played the game and you feel you didn't get your money's worth, then sell it and make your money back or make most of it back. I mean, this is this is the thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about more so just people jumping on board to shit on a game for the most inane reasons. Like I can understand if you're shitting on the game because the game sucks, but the people that have played the game that I know personally have said, listen, the game is short, but it's not terrible. There's worse shit out there. The way I look at a game like the order 1886, I'd, I'd compare it to rise um, that came out on Xbox one graphically, a beautiful game, not a great game, not a mind-blowing game, but graphically a beautiful game. And either you accept that at face value or you don't. You know, that's that that's pretty much it. Uh, that's how again, my my opinion on it, you guys don't got to agree with it. You don't you got you know, you're welcome to agree with it, you're welcome not to. Um Slick is rattling off titles that were uh Aquaman for for Xbox was 60 bucks, Superman 64 was 60 bucks. Wet was $60. Drake and of the 99 Dragons was 60 bucks. Fuck that game. <laughs> Slick adds that Rise was not that beautiful, did not live up to what Microsoft showed. At least the order looks the way it was shown. Danny then adds, but come on, a lot of games have been like that for the Xbox. And that's true. A lot of games have been like that for the Xbox. But that's not to say that PlayStation is, gonna, is, is not going to put out a dud either. 
my my bigger gripe is just people jumping on the bandwagon without giving the game a fair shake. If you genuinely bought the game and played the shit and you hated it, hey, you're entitled to it. You are entitled to say that the game is shit. What I, what I don't want people to do, and I'm putting this out there for my quote-unquote fellow gaming personalities and fellow game well quote-unquote gaming journalists is this the public is entitled to their own opinion unilaterally meaning anybody and everybody can say what they feel about a game a console or a system without any fear of reprisals it doesn't make you a fanboy it doesn't make you x it doesn't make you y i mean if you are a fanboy whatever but people are entitled to an opinion if you think that a game is shit you should be entitled to say that whether it's publicly, privately, on a forum, in a message board. If you don't like the game and you have genuine reasoning behind it, don't 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 expect that everybody's going to agree with you. Right now, I'm doing the show. I'm doing this monologue about that. And there's people in the chat that say, eh, I don't agree with what Rich says. And that's fine. You are entitled to disagree. I, fuck, I want you to disagree. I want you to disagree because it creates conversation. What I don't want is for people to be glorified yes men to developers and companies. It doesn't do anything for this industry. It doesn't. It does not do anything. Just because a company gave you a review copy of a game does not mean that you have to give the game a great score. You don't have to say that the game is great or beautiful or awesome or fantastic if it's a steaming pile of shit. I'm sorry to say it. I'd rather be hated for what I am than loved for what I'm not. That's that's it. And and this should apply to everybody. If you're in the industry, if you're not in the industry, if you run a blog or you do YouTube videos or whatever and you play a game and you feel that game is shitty, please do us a favor and share it with the masses. But allow me to allow me to to say this first. If you're going to have that opinion, you got to be ready to back that up. You got to be ready to have intelligent arguments and good defense. Don't say that the game sucks just because it sucks. But have real reasoning, legitimate reasoning, why you didn't like the game. Whether it's, you know, graphics, play style, you felt that it's the same thing that you've played from another game, etc., etc. Please be genuine. I put this out there for for all the the, the the personalities in the industry. I put this out there for all the quote-unquote journalists in the industry. And this is coming from a guy that is neither a personality or a journalist. He's just a motherfucker behind a microphone that talks for a couple of hours twice a week. The fact is this. Make your own judgments. And if you choose to share them with the with the masses, be ready to defend them correctly. No, don't defend them as a fanboy, but defend them as an individual that that's capable of legitimate thinking. You know? And and for those that are in the industry and are getting games, do not become obligated to give the game a great score because the publisher gave it to you. Don't do that. It is hurting this business. It is hurting this industry because it is allowing publishers to think that they could keep cranking out shit. You could spray paint a log of shit gold and it's still shit. Stop doing that. Stop going out there and and force feeding your opinion on the masses, especially because those masses are going to play that game on your recommendation. And if the game is shit, they will turn on you.
and it's and it's been bugging me because I've seen this over the last couple of weeks and 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 the worst part is that if you have an opinion people are saying oh you're not a real gamer you're not you know you're 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 a casual whatever listen if you pick up a a controller or you sit in front of a keyboard and mouse or you sit on the toilet with a phone you are a gamer we are kin all of us it doesn't matter whether whether it's retro games new games computer games, games on the Mac, mobile games. We're all gamers. Cut the shit about who's a real gamer and who's not. If you're if you're at a, at a retailer buying a game on the regular, you're just as much as a gamer as the person who's spending their money on Farmville or, or whatever other game is hot at the moment. You know, if you're playing Marvel's Clash of Champions, you're a gamer. If you're playing the WWE game, you're a gamer. If you're playing games on Facebook, we're we're friends. We are kindred spirits. You're a gamer. That's it. Don't don't use those arguments. Don't do that shit because it really hurts the industry. It, you know, we're supposed to be you know what gamers are supposed to be fighting against? We're supposed to be fighting against the misrepresentation of our culture. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be fighting about against the misrepresentation of our culture. Gone are the days when gamers are fat, live in their basements, don't have good jobs, are slackers or potheads or any of the above. Those labels, that's what we should be fighting against. We shouldn't be fighting amongst ourselves about who's a real gamer and who's not because we have opinions. It's bullshit. And it's stupid. And the fact that so many personalities and quote-unquote gaming journalists actually lead the lead the charge about who's a real gamer and who's not is sickening and it's disgusting it's disgusting and it's hurting this business it's turning people against each other it's turning developers against reviewers it's turning reviewers against publishers and it's doing nothing for anyone and i'm telling you right now if you're a journalist if you're a personality and you don't like what i just said three four seven three two four three five four one twice a week wednesdays and thursdays Call, put your money where your mouth is, and let's hear what you got to say. Otherwise, stop leading people on and making people's opinions not matter. I don't give a shit. Come see me. You come find me on a, on a show floor, and you tell me that, and I'll gladly hear you out. But don't sit there using Twitter and Facebook and Google+, and, oh, you know, you're not a real gamer if you don't like X game. You're full of shit. And I'll tell you that to your face. That's that's it. Simple as that. You come see me. Simple as that. Anyway, let's move on because I could I could rant and rave about that for for another twenty minutes with very very uh, with, with with venom and and vitriol, but it's it's not accomplishing anything. Just again, like I said, sh- to sum it up, use your use your own opinions. Talk to your friends. Read different things. Don't go by fucking Metacritic. Don't don't go by Metacritic. Don't. Don't do it. Don't don't rely on just Metacritic. Don't rely on IGN. Don't rely on Polygon. Don't rely on the Verge. Uh, don't rely on the Verge, Kotaku, etc., etc. You know, don't do it. It's 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 simple as that. Just j- again, your own opinions. Go to different things. 
go to go to different forums, talk to different people, talk to your own friends, your own peers and make your own opinions. Do not let journalists, media personalities or any of the above influence how you purchase or what you do with your money. That's it. All right. So the next bit of news is is a little crazy just because it's not something you would think when you hear the series Forza. When you hear the series Forza, you assume that you're getting top of the line racing on an Xbox console. And to a degree, it's always been that. Well, something very interesting is happening. And that is that Forza is partnering up to bring you a a version of their game tied to the Fast and Furious series titled Forza Horizon 2 presents Fast and Furious. This downloadable game will let players wheel cars and lead missions set in the Fast and the Fast and Furious universe. Uh, the Turn 10 Studios development and developed installment will allow players to scout and supply vehicles for Tej, of course, played by Ludacris, um, who will be voicing the, his character in the game. On, on of course, on Tej's uh, shopping list are the usual cars from the series, including a 1970 Dodge Charger, a 1998 Toyota Supra, a Plymouth Roadrunner from 1970, a 2012 Nissan GTR, of course, the 1970 Plymouth Cuda, a 2013 Jeep Wrangler, a Maserati Ghibli S, and a 2015 Dodge Charger. Of course, the minute that you hear anything based on a movie, you're automatically going to assume that it's going to suck. But given given the trappings of the Fast and Furious series, I want to give it a shot. I mean, it's a downloadable game. How bad could it be? Um, you know, it's it's something that I'm interested in seeing how it pans out. The game is going to be free to download and play until April 10th, and then afterwards is going to cost $10. Um, it's going to be available on Xbox 360 and Xbox One beginning March 27th, and you will not require the main Forza Horizon 2 game in order for you to enjoy it. Of course, if you are a fan of the Fast and Furious series, Fast 7 hits theaters April 3rd. I see that people are talking about uh, World of Warcraft. Dark Helmet says, Rich does not seem like a World of Warcraft guy to me. Um, no, I am not a World of Warcraft guy. I say that a hundred percent. Once again, does that not make me a true gamer? Holy shit. Let me put my, let me put my hands up because, oh my God, I'm sorry. Again, I am, I'm not a PC gamer. I've never made, I've never made overtures to be one. On the contrary, (laughs) uh, my PC is for the show for money you know, to make some money and that's it. It is a tool. It is a weapon. It is, it is what I value most. Consoles are what get most of my time. I don't even, I don't even play on, on the DS or a PSP or any of that shit. I sit in front of my TV with a controller in hand. The only X, the only deviation from that are mobile games. And you know, those are, those are toilet fare or, or mass transit. That's about it. Or doctor's appointment. You got to You got to have the the three schools of thought. You're either playing on the bowl, and you got your 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 list of games you play on the bowl. Then you got your list of games that are good for the doctor's office. Then you got your list of um, games that you're gonna play when you're on mass transit. Each each one has its own list, and I and I and I do have that. I'm guilty of that. Like if you're playing, obviously, words with friends, that's a game you're gonna play at at the doctor's office. <laughs> Because that's a game that you'll be playing and waiting for a while. Versus something like um, like Quiz Up, which I play often. That's a game that you kind of play in the bathroom. You can get a quick game in and you leave. Um, 
you know, Marvel's Clash of Champions, that's a game that's a little bit more intensive, but in any case, um let me let me uh cut the bullshit and and move this right along. For those of you that are enjoying Xbox Live's Gamer with Gold uh service, you got some really good games heading your way for the month of March. Um and in April as well. For March, if you have an Xbox One, you're going to be getting Rayman Legends. It's going to be available all month beginning March 1st. If you have an Xbox 360, you have the choice of Tomb Raider, available from March 1st through the 15th, and Bioshock Infinite, available from March 16th to the 31st. In addition to that, in April, Microsoft is going to hook you guys up with four free games on the Xbox 360 and two free games on the Xbox One. So there you have it. Um, if if you're looking to pick up some of those games, put those dates down on your calendar. Again, Rayman Legends will be on Xbox One starting March 1st. That game has a, uh, a price of around $40. Tomb Raider is going to be available March 1st through the 15th. And Bioshock Infinite, once again, March 16th through the 31st. So if you've missed any of those games, do yourselves a favor. Note that on your calendars. I'll make sure to also put it in the show notes as a reminder in case you guys are interested in picking those titles up. Capcom has been in a little bit of hot water this week because Resident Evil Revelations 2 for Windows PC does not support offline co-op in the campaign or in the raid mode. According to a representative from Capcom Europe who gave a statement to IGN, they said the PC version of Resident Evil Revelation supports a variety of customizable visual settings and resolutions. The decision to prioritize a single local screen was made to ensure a stable user experience across a variety of different PC settings and devices. Raid mode will support online co-op shortly after launch when a free patch is available for players to download, which will add this feature but the main campaign on the PC will only be available to play on single player local screen. Again, the lack of offline co-op for the PC was reportedly something that wasn't originally mentioned in the game's steam store page. So PC users of course were led to believe that the feature would be supported as it is on the five console versions. So yeah, a lot of angry PC gamers are out there with that shit and I cannot blame them. If you are interested in picking up Resident Evil Revelations 2, which is a four-part series, you can pick it up on PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, Xbox 360, and Xbox One, and you will have all those features available. And yes, Slick, I am going to kill you. It's not a question of how or when, because I'll never tell you. (laughs) Anyway, so... The other thing I wanted to talk about, and this is um, something that people are going to appreciate. If you are an RPG fan, Xbox One will be releasing a version of Neverwinter Online starting next month on March 31st. Uh, The Xbox One version will include all the content from the base game, including all the playable classes and the Tyranny of Dragons expansion. The game is going to be free to play for Xbox Live Gold members. The Xbox One version will also feature... Um, a friends list, integration, and optimized controls as well. The original Neverwinter game was originally released on Windows PC in June 2013. So there you have it, ladies and gents. A lot of really, really great stuff on the horizon if you are a console gamer. I am, you know, I feel bad for my PC gaming brethren, 
who cannot enjoy some of those multiplayer options on Resident Evil Revelations 2. But I will say this, if if you are a PC gamer and you also happen to have a console, maybe give that game a shot in in, in on one of those platforms and not on PC game, uh, you know, on a PC based platform because obviously it is going to be stripped down. Uh before I wrap it up, I did want to mention something that um I found rather interesting. Uh, I saw somebody on Facebook who who's a pretty well-known uh, representative of the, of the industry. Um, his name is Patrick Scott Patterson or PSP. Um, he actually was talking about Splatoon and he was telling people to try and support the game. Uh, you guys know that I've always referenced Splatoon as one of the games that has made me want to purchase a Wii U. And it was refreshing to see just a, a media personality Uh, Someone involved in the industry just actively going out there and advocating for a game is in a positive manner without any sort of, you know, expectation or any sort of handout from the developer. I, you know, it was refreshing to see that. And I did want to acknowledge it because, you know, the guy definitely deserves props for that. Um, I do want to say that I have not picked up my Wii U yet. I am uh, seriously slacking in that department. That is going to change in the coming weeks. Uh, hopefully I can get in front of a console more than once every couple of weeks just because work and uh, the continued expansion of the show and the site have kind of uh, hampered things a bit. But I will say that, you know, I am picking up the Wii U for that first platoon and just for some of the obvious first party Nintendo games that have been on my radar for the last couple of months. And I want to say that, you know, PSP is one of the good guys out there, one of the few that that really genuinely love this business for for what it is and for um how it brings people together so i just wanted to give that guy a shout out um, who knows if he listens or if he doesn't listen but he's a he's a good dude and i got to applaud the guy for what he does and you know i want to wrap it up by saying that if you haven't picked up any of the next gen consoles or you're on the fence about them you know do your homework there's a lot of good stuff out there for each console obviously you know batman arkham knight is amazing it looks tremendous and i think that that's going to be the game that's going to move a lot of units um obviously everyone has their their games that are on their radar but that's a game that will move systems it'll definitely move systems just like obviously drake or master chief or or kratos are going to move uh definitely keep an eye out for that as for nintendo i do have to say that they've been on a very very solid track record the last couple of months you know between mario party um, Smash Brothers, Mario Kart, the whole Amiibo craze. They've definitely been doing a good job. That new 3DS has been um, has been hit or miss. And the only reason I say that is just because of the whole transfer system. But those of those people that are buying um, the new 3DS that are not um, previous owners have actually really spoken highly of the system. Um, I see the guys in the chat are already talking about stuff they want to pick up. Uh, Dark Helmet says he'd like to pick up a PS4 eventually. Um, he also wants Fallout 4. Slick says that he would like Titan Souls in April. Uh, for me, like I said, obviously, Batman Arkham Knight, Splatoon, and um, definitely Street Fighter V, which, the, of course, the trailer showing Nash, you know, Charlie Nash, definitely was a big selling point for me. There's also rumors that there will be a beta for the game as well. Once I get news for that, and how you can get in on it, of course, I will share that with you guys. With that said, that is going to wrap up the gaming for this week. As always, 
If you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, or would like to debate any of the stuff we discussed either now or on future episodes, drop me a line, uh, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. Slick did confirm that it's not a rumor. Capcom is allowing uh, beta entry if you pre-order the game. Thank you for that, Slick. Much appreciated. All right, so let's switch gears. Let's jump into the week's entertainment news. There's lots to discuss, so let's get that ball rolling. Let's get into the first story of the week. It looks like we are getting that brand new Tomb Raider reboot and all signs are pointing to um, it moving along quicker than previously thought. Right now, according to Deadline, Evan Doherty, who's pretty much been involved in every big summer movie, is on board writing a brand new script. And it's going to, of course, follow a younger Lara Croft who goes on her first archaeological dig. And of course, shit goes horribly wrong. I do have to say that Angelina Jolie's portrayal of Lara Croft in the previous Tomb Raider films was very good. I think Angelina Jolie did a good job with the material that was presented. Um, Of course, rebooting it and going with a younger actress will allow them to possibly go with a franchise mentality. And if it goes according to plan, they'll lock up that younger actress onto a long-term contract. But for me, I do have to say that uh, the Tomb Raider series, much like Uncharted, can benefit from deeper storytelling and not just a pretty face. Um, a lot of people, of course, are are talking about the fact that there's a lot of young actresses out there that would benefit from being involved in this. Definitely not Kristen Stewart. <laughs> I, I do have to agree with Slick. Uh, she is definitely an emotionless, uh, t- not talentless. I don't want to say the girl is talentless. Just I think that she would definitely be the wrong choice for such a rigorous and physical role. I think that the role of Lara Croft has to go to a young lady who has, you know, who's going to put in the work and dedication to be athletic, agile, and ready to go and get dirty for these films. I think one of the things that gets me that, you know, I have to admire Angelina Jolie for is that Angelina Jolie is, is, you know, an actress that definitely goes in there, gets in the trenches and definitely tries to portray characters as best as possible. Um, I'm not sure that for for a character like Lara Croft, I, I feel that if you're going to do it where and, and you're going with a younger version, you're going to have to start crafting some sort of an origin story. I'm sure that that's where they're going to go with. And then based on that, they're going to try and expand into, you know, deeper sides of the story. I think that the new Tomb Raider game that came out uh, not too long ago did a great job of not only giving us a bit of background, but really thrusting Lara Croft into situations where it really led to a very, very good narrative. Um, It's one of those things that I felt was one of the strong points of that last Tomb Raider game, and I think it's something that, if done right, can translate well onto film. The next bit of news should come as no shock to anyone, but it looks like the IMAX Corporation will be going ahead and releasing Terminator Genesis in IMAX 3D on July 1st. Um, The thing about this is that this shouldn't be a shock to anyone. Obviously, when you see the trailer for Terminator Genesis, you see that this is a film that definitely will benefit from the IMAX treatment. And that's one thing that I've talked about before. There are some films 
that you just need to experience in IMAX. Fifty Shades of Grey is one that you don't need to experience in IMAX, but films like, you know, Transformers, Terminator, The Avengers, things that are that are heavy, you know, heavy special effects, really, really big scaled uh, scenes are stuff that really just look amazing in IMAX. I mean, if you saw the last Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, when they did the the scene in Abu Dhabi where Tom Cruise was climbing on the side of the building, while you could appreciate that on any traditional screen, on the IMAX screen from a pers- from a perspective standpoint, it was an incredible shot. They did an amazing job with that. Um, Batman, you know, The Dark Knight, when they filmed the IMAX scenes in the tunnels, really were just tremendous. And Transformers, whether you love the films or hate the films, uh, the IMAX utilization was tremendous. For those of you that have uh, been looking for the Age of Extinction, uh, the 3D version has those IMAX scenes. And the minute that you see that aspect ratio on the TV switch um, and really just fill up the entire screen, it's awesome. I definitely, for me, I do think that Terminator deserves to be an IMAX it's a film that looks like it's an incredible large scale. The effects are out of this world. Hopefully the movie is not shitty because, again, um, great special effects and a shitty story don't do films any favors. But I am I am cautious at this time. I am cautious. Danny says in the chat that she is not a gamer because she can't do quick time events. <laughs> Bravo, ma'am. Bravo. <laughs> All right. So. Of course, for the wealth of superhero films that we are getting, we it's it's obviously a no-brainer at this point that we're getting a wealth of superhero TV series. Of course, with all the products on air from DC, Marvel is of course following suit with its scale with its um lengthy list of shows whether on Netflix or broadcast television, but DC is bringing another series um to Fox. This is going to be Lucifer based on the Vertigo comic by Mike Carey. Um, Sleepy Hollow's co-creator Len Weissman, who many of you may know from Underworld, and Jerry Bruckheimer are involved in bringing the Lucifer story to life. Basically, in this Vertigo series, Lucifer gets tired of 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 living in hell and actually gives up his throne and heads to Los Angeles, where he actually helps the LAPD chase down criminals. Um, a very very interesting concept. Uh, very solid book. I read a couple of issues. Um, I I do have to say that one thing that's happening quite a bit is that a lot of the obscure characters, both from Marvel and DC, are benefiting from the small screen treatment. I never thought that a series like Agent Carter, which, again, you're you're using Peggy Carter, Howard Stark, which are, you know, secondary and tertiary characters, depending on on which books you read, would yield such great television. Um, You know, Lucifer making the jump. I'm I'm curious to see how they do it. Of course, the character's inspiration is from John Milton's Paradise Lost. Uh, the Lucifer character first appeared in Neil Gaiman's Sandman before he got his solo his solo series in 2000. It was published until 2006 and ran for about 75 issues. I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one a um, the benefit of the doubt. We'll see how it goes. Like I said, most of the stuff has been transitioning well to TV thus far. Uh, one of my favorites that's incredibly underrated is John Constantine on NBC, which um, hopefully will be moving to sci-fi in the near future. I feel that Constantine is is a very well done show and probably 
one of the shows that's out there that's very true to the source material. And I think that if you use that same mentality with a show like Lucifer, um, it would it would it would yield some interesting television for sure. Uh, once we get more news and an air date, I will share that with you guys. Now, I want to talk about the current state of you know the Marvel Universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because there's a lot of news going around. Um, the first, of course, is the rumor of uh, Peter Parker not being white but being African American, to Spider Man not being Peter Parker at all, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's angry. Everybody's all you know, fire and brimstone about it, piss and vinegar. It's like, listen, just let the shit play out. Stop trying to walk around advocating who you should or shouldn't want to see portraying Peter Parker or whatever version of Spider-Man makes it into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Please, please, please wait and see. With that said, there's one character who's pretty much going to be played by the same guy until the day he dies, and he confirmed this in an interview recently, and that is Hugh Jackman. He actually said that seeing Michael Keaton in Birdman inspired him to want to keep playing Wolverine. He said, I've said to my wife, the moral is that I should never stop playing Wolverine. I've got to find a way to keep playing him until I die. I know that someday they'll recast the role with another actor. I'd be happy if the role was eventually recast. It would mean that it would become iconic. So, you know, I got to I got to give credit to Hugh Jackman for that, because I remember when Hugh Jackman first appeared in the first X-Men movie and I was like, yo, what the fuck? This guy's garbage. And little by little, he he continued to embrace the role and embrace the role. And not only that, but he just endured the rigors of getting in shape to portray Wolverine. And it takes you know, it, it takes a lot of dedication and a lot of discipline to get yourself in that type of shape. I mean, if you saw the last film, the last film was probably the best shape he's been in to portray Wolverine. And of course, he's going to be in Age of Apocalypse as well. And there's a rumor floating around that we may see Wolverine in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Do not quote me on that. It is a rumor that has been floating around on a couple of different places and right now it's exactly that. Take it with a grain of salt. Uh, there's a rumor that Robert Downey Jr. has a big announcement that he will be making in the coming in the coming days. Not sure what it is. Some people are saying it's Iron Man 4. Some people are saying that it's going to be who's going to be cast as Spider-Man. Uh, you know, there's a wealth of information. I highly, highly doubt that it will be Wolverine coming into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But stranger things have happened. In any case, we do know that Hugh Jackman wants to play Wolverine until he dies. So kudos to you, sir. <laughs> All right, let's talk box office numbers. Um, shockingly enough, Fifty Shades of Grey held on for the number one slot, earning $23.2 million. Its grand total thus far is $130.1 million. The Kingsman, The Secret Service holds on to the number 2 slot earning an additional 17.5 million bringing its total to 67.1 million dollars. I'm going to try and go see the Kingsman this weekend and um if I do of course you'll be able to see my review on rageworks.net. The SpongeBob film came in in the number 3 slot, McFarland USA was number 4, The Duff was number 5, American Sniper claimed another 9.7 million dollars for the number 6 slot bringing its total to $319.6 million. The Hot Tub Time Machine came in at number 7. Jupiter Ascending was number 8. The Imitation Game was number 9. And Paddington got an additional $2.3 million 
to bring its total to 67.7 and secure the number 10 slot. All right, so a couple of weeks back, we were talking about the sequel to Snow White and the Huntsman, which pretty much got green-lighted and is a go. Chris Hemsworth will be returning, as will Charlize Theron. Um, It's being reported, according to Deadline, that Jessica Chastain will be joining the cast as well, as will Emily Blunt, who will be playing, allegedly, the villain in this quote-unquote sequel-slash-prequel to the original film, which starred Chris Hemsworth, Kristen Stewart, and Charlize Theron. Um, I didn't hate Snow White and the Huntsman. I thought that Kristen Stewart was fucking terrible, but I did like that the, the character that Chris Hemsworth brought to life. I thought that there was a lot of great story there. I also like Charlize Theron's portrayal of the evil queen in that film. So I'm curious to see how they bring it full circle, how much of it is going to be prequel and how much more they're going to expand on the mythology as a whole. Again, I'm going to be keeping an eye on that. And once I get a release date, of course, you guys will hear about it first. I want to, I do want to switch gears and talk a little DC. Of course, DC has a, a, a big slate of shows on air. Um, they got a brand new Supergirl series in the works, and they're starting to do a lot of casting, including um, the, you're, we're going to be seeing the guy that played Cyborg Superman, Hank Henshaw, is going to be involved. Um, you know, there's even a rumor that they are looking to cast somebody to play Superman. I don't think we're going to see Superman on screen. Um, you know, longer than a couple of seconds, but I do, I'm not shocked that they do want to add Superman to the story. Of course, people are instantly going to be pissed off that it doesn't tie into the cinematic universe, but what can you do? It's, it's the, um, the ass backwards logic of DC and Warner brothers at play, but I'm curious to see what they're going to do with Supergirl and how much of, how much of it will carry over from Superman stories. Of course, uh, seeing Hank Henshaw mentioned, in the series is is kind of cool. I've always liked the Cyborg Superman character. I've always felt that his design was really, really cool. And if that ends up making its way onto the series, that would be pretty badass as well. Um, Melissa Benoist will be playing Supergirl. Makad Brooks is going to be playing Jimmy Olsen. Callista Flockhart was announced for Cat Grant. And Laura Benanti will be playing Kara's Kryptonian mother. Of course, I don't have a, um, I don't have a debut yet. Uh, a date for the series debut. Of course, once we get it, you will hear it from us. So let's jump into the time machine. Let's go back into the 80s and 90s because there is a wealth of shows heading your way that are going to be reboots and reimaginings of classic television series. Netflix announced that they will be bringing back Inspector Gadget, which is pretty cool. And they will also be bringing back Danger Mouse. Those two series are heading to Netflix. Of course, the um, Inspector Gadget series will be done in CGI, which actually looks pretty cool based on the art that I saw. And Danger Mouse, here's the funny thing. Danger Mouse, they used to give it on Channel 9 really, really early in the morning, usually uh, between Saturday and Sunday from after midnight you know, into Sunday morning. They would give Danger Mouse on Channel 9. And I remember the first time I saw Danger Mouse, I was a little kid getting an asthma attack and being taken to the emergency room in the Bronx at Lincoln hospital. And, um, I ended up watching it on channel nine before it became UPN or any of that shit, just regular channel nine. And I remember they used, they were giving it, I was in the hospital 
it was definitely mid between midnight and 2 a.m. And I watched this cartoon and, you know, I like the, the, the English accents. I like the animation. And after I saw it, I went out of my way to try and find it whenever possible to watch it when I was a kid. These were the times when if you had Time Warner Cable, they used to send the TV guide to your house and we get the TV guide in the mailbox every Friday. I would run through and I would circle whenever they would give it and try my hardest to either stay up late or wake up early to watch the cartoon. Um, from a nostalgia standpoint, it's definitely very cool to see that cartoon um, getting a breath of fresh air just because it's a cartoon that's that's kind of obscure, not something that a lot of people go out of their way to, to talk about or, or, or that they even watched. So to see it getting... Um, a reboot and being brought to Netflix is really cool. Um, seeing Inspector Gadget, of course, we all watched Inspector Gadget. I mean, one of the most iconic fucking theme songs for a cartoon. And of course, we're going to forget that live action Matthew Broderick Inspector Gadget because it was fucking terrible. But um, seeing seeing that in, on Netflix as well is pretty cool. And then the other big the other big news, and this is crazy. Uh, Disney announced that they will be bringing back DuckTales on Disney XD in 2017. It's going to be produced by Disney Television Animation. And, of course, we'll follow Scrooge McDuck, Huey, Dewey, Louie, and, of course, Donald Duck. But all your favorite characters will be appearing as well, including Duckworth, Gyro Gearloose, Launchpad McQuack, of course, who was one of my favorites, Flintheart Glomgold, who was uh, the nemesis of Scrooge McDuck and was a favorite of mine as well, uh, Magicka Dispel, The Beagle Boys, Mrs. Beakley, and of course, Webigail Vanderquack. So um, definitely very cool to see. Um, I think that a lot of these cartoons, uh, companies are realizing that these cartoons were ahead of, ahead of their time back in the days. I remember DuckTales used to touch on some stuff sometimes that was definitely more, more geared towards grownups. Um, you know, they address things like bullying and, and things like that, which there was always a message there, but there was always a lot of just really great animation, amazing storytelling. And, um, like I said, another show that had a real infectious theme song. So to see those three cartoons just coming back, I mean, it's great for a new generation of kids to see some of the stuff that we grew up watching. Um, like I said, Inspector Gadget, um, I'm a okay with that. Same thing with Danger Mouse, and and the fact that they're on Netflix is cool because you can watch them at your own pace, not have to try and and be a slave to the to the cable guide unless of course you have a DVR. And um, I definitely will be checking them out. I'm really excited. Like I said, Ducktales will not be airing until 2017, but um, Danger Mouse and Inspector Gadget uh, for Inspector Gadget that will be hitting the airwaves in March of 2015, and Danger Mouse will be arriving in spring of 2016 slick says in the chat that they need to bring back Darkwing duck i would not mind that at all but if there's one disney cartoon that i would give anything to see once again it would be gargoyles i think gargoyles was ahead of its time in terms of storytelling animation just character design it was tremendous and the fact that they haven't done anything further with that is crazy gargoyles was tremendous disney programming uh you know the subject matter bordered on a little dark uh you know it was definitely on the darker side especially in later in, in later seasons and it was just amazing animation uh slick adds that gargoyles should be made into a live action show that shit would kill on the cw you know what it is with a limited budget 
Yeah, I have my I have my doubts, but you know what I would like to see? I'd like to see Gargoyles done, you know, with with by Disney Animation Studios and released as a film. I think that would be a great way to just test to just test the uh, the waters and see how well kids would do with that because I always felt that Gargoyles was a kids show that really catered to adults on the down low and um I I really enjoyed it. I'd love to see it again. I think it would be tremendous. I doubt it'll happen, but Stranger things have happened. If they could, if they could bring back Johnny Quest a thousand times, they could bring back gargoyles. So, um, get yourselves out there. If you want to start a petition, I will gladly throw my name on that list. If you guys were on RageWorks this week, you'll notice that a brand new post was put up regarding the upcoming season of American Story. Uh, excuse me, American Horror Story called American Horror Story Hotel. Uh, Lady Gaga is going to be involved in that. She actually made the announcement on Twitter. I have no issue with this. I think that, you know, she's done. She's a pretty decent actress. She's been in my in Machete Kills, Sin City of Dame to Kill for and in Muppets Most Wanted. And I think her her weird approach to just her weird creative approach works for the American Horror Story series. Um, The last American Horror Story series that just wrapped up was tremendous and I never thought that the series would continue, but five seasons later, it's going strong, and I'm going to definitely give it a shot when it airs later on. This I believe it's supposed to start end of 2015. Um, actually, correction, the series is supposed to be airing in October. I thought it was end of 2015. It is going to be airing in October. Lady Gaga did re, uh, reveal a teaser on Twitter, and of course, you can see that teaser and Andrea's thoughts on it on RageWorks.net. All right, the other big sci-fi news this week has been something that has been extremely dissected by so many different people, and that is the announcement that Neil Blomkamp was going to be doing a brand new Aliens film. And, of course, everybody was really, really intrigued by the designs that he released via social media a couple of months back. And... Pretty much, it it pretty much secured his his vision to bring that type of a of an alien movie to the big screen. And he was asked about it, and he actually said that this particular alien film that he's gonna do is gonna follow Alien and Aliens, meaning that Aliens three and and you know Alien Resurrection were not gonna be considered um, in the grand scheme of the mythology. This film is gonna follow Alien and Aliens, and it's gonna essentially close out. Uh, the Ellen Ripley story. Now, obviously, if you've watched the Alien movies, you know that in Alien 3, Ripley dies. You know, spoiler alert, which I doubt it is. Um, in Alien Resurrection, she is brought back as a clone, and obviously that film ends with the aliens possibly heading to Earth. Um, I do like what Neil Blomkamp has done. Uh, a lot of the designs that he has out there and and some of the, the creative things that he wants to do with the series are incredibly interesting for me. I love the Aliens movies. I love the mythology. I have the the comics from Dark Horse. I've watched all the movies from Prometheus to, you know, all, you know, all the Alien movies and obviously Aliens being one of my favorites for a multitude of reasons, just great storytelling, uh hardcore action, really great creature design, and I think that Neil Blomkamp, if you've seen uh, you know, District 9, and even Elysium, which some people didn't like, you'll see that he really has an amazing eye for science fiction. And I want to give him a shot. I think he's going to kill it with this brand new Aliens film. And, you know, I can't wait for it to come out. 
Chappie, of course, which is his next film, which Sigourney Weaver is in, is going to be hitting theaters March 6th, and I want to check that out. It looked a little campy the first couple of times I saw the trailers, but now that I've been digging a little deep and I've been seeing some of the other trailers, I do think that Chappie's going to be another one of those films that's going to go under the radar and is going to gain a cult following, much like District 9. I remember when I first saw District 9, I watched about half an hour of the film, and I thought, wow, this movie's fucking bullshit. And then one one night, I was incredibly bored, and I said, you know what, let me watch this movie all the way through. And at around the midway point of the film, it just got turned up uh, to a completely different level, and it just blew me out of the water. I Like I said, it was a slow burn. I was a little frustrated when I watched it initially, but man, did it deliver the goods towards the end. Elysium... Elysium has its pros and its cons. I kind of felt that Day After Tomorrow did a better job telling that type of a story than um, than Elysium did. But Elysium has its has its good points too. Like I said, I want to see what Neil Blomkamp is going to do with you know such a deep mythology like Aliens because there's so much you can do. There's so many great stories you can tell. Plus Sigourney Weaver's just her, her you know her portrayal of Ellen Ripley is is tremendous, especially in the second film. Um, <laughs> Danny says, you mean short circuit isn't Chappie's short circuit. You know, what's funny. That's exactly the first thing that came to mind when I saw the first trailer. But as I watched some of the other trailers that expanded on like the story, there's a, there's a lot more at play. Of course, short circuit is the first thing that comes to mind. Definitely. But, um, you know, there's an extended trailer with, with Hugh Jackman, who's actually the, the villain in that movie. And it really sold me on the concept. It definitely I, there there are plenty of parallels to Short Circuit. I am I am making no. Uh, I'm not trying to hide that. I'm not trying to sweep that under the rug. There are definitely parallels to Short Circuit. But I like I like where it's going. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. A lot of visuals that that got my attention. So I'll probably go check it out when it drops March sixth. Again, um, I'll be watching the news with regards to Neil Blomkamp's uh, Alien film. Very very closely during the 87th annual academy awards viola davis did confirm that she will be playing amanda waller in suicide squad Um, of course there were a lot of rumors and speculation floating around but it is official straight from the actress's mouth her husband did confirm it as well that viola davis will be playing amanda waller all right so i did i did want to kind of touch on this a little bit and it's the fact that we've been um we've been hearing a lot about a blade runner sequel um alcon entertainment has officially announced that harrison ford will be reprising his role as rick deckard in the sequel for blade runner so we are getting a blade runner sequel um and harrison ford is involved right now it looks like um you know it, it it's in pre- in the prelims but i'm curious to see how well you know how well Harrison Ford embraces that character. The last time I saw Blade Runner, wow, I'm 34. I think the I've seen that movie maybe twice. The first time I didn't like it, and then they ended up giving it on the Sci-Fi Channel. It was a, a double feature. For some reason, it was Dune, and then they gave Blade Runner. And I remember I watched Dune, and I was like, wow, this movie sucks. And then Blade Runner kind of started in the background, and. When he actually, when they were conducting the test on the guy to see if he was a, a synthetic and he just went crazy and shot the guy, I got suckered in immediately. But I've only, I, I'm not going to lie, I've only seen it twice. 
So before the second movie comes out, I'm definitely going to I'm definitely going to get I'm going to give Blade Runner another watch. Slick writes in in caps what Dune was fantastic. <laughs> I don't know, man. I tried to watch it and I just couldn't get into it. I really couldn't. Maybe because it was the pacing was a little slow. But then again, you're you're also talking to a guy who thought that, you know, Beastmaster was awesome. So, um, you know, and, and crawl, crawl was crawl was a fucking steaming pile of shit. But, um, you know, I have a soft spot for films like that. Crawl Beastmaster, um, Beastmaster, especially Beastmaster was, um, just one of those movies that you always watch on every channel that it's on channel five, channel nine, channel 11 and it was crazy because i remember they would always give conan the destroyer and then they would give the beastmaster right after and of course mark singer went on to do other other sequels to beastmaster but the original with um tanya roberts was definitely the one to watch back in the day but there you have it ladies and gents we are getting another blade runner that's for sure and harrison ford will be back in the actor's seat as rick deckard now the other bit of news that has been making uh, making the rounds involves the Power Rangers fan film that was put out. It was a very dark and gritty take on the Power Rangers mythology. Um, you know, James Vanderbeek was involved, as was what the hell is her name? Um, the chick that played Starbuck. Fuck, what is her name? Uh, Katie Sackoff. Um, it was Katie Sackoff, James Vanderbeek, a very dark, uh, very gritty version of the power rangers mythology a lot of people shared it it made its way through social media i was going to put it on the site but they just kept pulling it left and right especially the uncensored uh short version of it was was yanked immediately off of vimeo the um the the more toned down version was yanked off of youtube and that's because saban has issue um they actually filed a complaint against the 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 film's creator adi shankar who put the film out. And again, there's so many fan films out there that I don't understand what Saban's interest, you know, what Saban's um, negative opinion on the film is. I mean, Jason David Frank, who's been on this show, was did not take too kindly to the film either. But I also feel that it's fan fiction. It's, it's a fan's perspective on the film. It's only being watched via social media. It's um, It's really not something that's, that's infringing on a copyright. It's just a different vision on something that exists already. It's no different than Batman versus Predator, which has been done. It's no different than the stuff put out by Bat in the Sun. Um, again, I do understand where where Jason David Frank and some of the other actors come from. That you know, this is a child's property. You know, a property for children, and it's painted. You know, it's uh, it's put out there as. Um, you know, it's it's put out there for the for mass consumption, and it's painting a a, a very very uh, disjointed view of something so iconic that kids gravitate towards. And I have to disagree. And the reason I say this is because if you're not watching, if you're not watching what people, what your children are, if you're not keeping an eye on what your children are watching, then you know you're failing as a parent. And when I saw it, I said to myself, "Hey, you know the current." Uh, Power Rangers is Dino Charge on Disney XD. Uh, very bright, very colorful, um, very interesting. And when you look at that, and you also look at 
you know, that dark and more gritty take on it. It, 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 it's just something totally different. And the only way that you would know is that it was Power Rangers is if you either were familiar with the property or you did your homework in advance. I mean, it was very, it was very not vague, but it was just something that like anything else, it was just told from a fan's perspective. It's no different. Like I said, than the stuff done by bat in the sun, uh, the guy that did the wonder woman fan film who we interviewed, um, the director of that we interviewed, excuse me, and um, countless other fan films that are out there. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense for people to get so bent out of shape about it. It was what it was. It definitely wasn't terrible. And, um, you know, it was just it was just interesting. I found it to be incredibly, incredibly. In- well, let me rephrase that. I found it to be an incredible take on something that's considered extremely childish. You know, the Power Rangers are you know, something that have been obviously ripped from Voltron and countless other cartoons that we grew up watching, but it's always been very innocent, very light. Um, you know, there's always a message at the end of every episode. I think I've watched pretty much every season of Power Rangers. I'll admit it. Um, I've always liked like the giant robots and all that stuff. And the old shit, you guys, if you guys follow me on social media, you know that anything with the Green Ranger, the White Ranger, all that stuff, the Megazords from the old cartoons, they were really ahead of their time. The designs were really cool back then. And um, again, would I like to see something gritty and dark? Sure. But if it's not going to work, then don't do it. The same thing can be said for Voltron, which we've talked about, talked about on numerous occasions. If you watch Go Lion, Go Lion is a lot darker, a lot more violent. Meanwhile, the regular Voltron cartoon, it has some, some sprinklings of, of violence in there. But it's not, you know, obviously it's toned down substantially versus something like Go Lion, which was uh, just, you know, super in your face, super violent. So, again, for those of you that are out there just bent out of shape about something that's essentially a fan film, just let it rock. Leave the shit alone, you know, because it's again, it's it's not hurting anybody. It's not infringing on any copyrights. Nobody's making money off of it like that. And even if you were monetizing it on YouTube, what are you going to make? hundred bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks at most. So what? It's going to come and go like anything else that goes viral on the internet. Simple as that. The other thing I did want to talk about, and this is actually going to wrap up the show for tonight, is, um, and, and this is real crazy, it's um, the fact that there's a rumor going around that they're going to spin off Arrow and The Flash and give us another show kind of like a, uh, a DC team-up. And it's going to use um, the Atom... Captain Cold, Firestorm, and some of the other actors and obviously some other heroes that we haven't seen yet as a brand new series. I'm interested in seeing how that's going to pan out. I mean, if you've been watching uh, The Flash and Arrow on the CW, they're continuing to improve every week. Uh, The Flash this past week before it went on hiatus until March, I believe it's March 17th. uh, We got to see Gorilla Grodd, which was really cool. And of course, Reverse Flash. Meanwhile, on the Arrow side of things, you know, Rachel Ghoul, uh, Talia, not Talia, uh, Nisal Ghoul, the Atom. We're seeing a lot of cool stuff being done on the small screen. And it's really just um, to a degree, it's just better than some of the other stuff that's been done before. So to see them kind of spinning that off into like a DC team up type of a show, I will um, I'll definitely be watching that with much interest. I'm I'm hearing that we're possibly going to see something or some sort of an amount of an announcement uh, later on this year. 
with regards to what it's going to be called and what actors and what characters we're going to see. And I am chomping at the bit for that. Uh, like I said, right now it's looking like Brandon Routh's uh, Ray Palmer slash The Atom is going to be there. And Katie Lotz, who played the first Canary in Arrow, is involved, which is strange. And, of course, Wentworth Miller's Captain Cold. And um, Victor Garber, who was Martin Stein, who's half of uh, Firestorm, is also involved in the series as well. So, again, very, very interesting. I'm curious to see what they're doing exactly and how they're going to utilize all these characters. I can't wait. I'm hype, like I said, because Flash and Arrow have been tremendous thus far. All right, so with that said, that is actually going to wrap up the entertainment portion of the show and the show as a whole as well. All right, so with that said, let's get the hell out of here and take it home. As always, thank you guys for tuning in. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 276. You can access this and previous episodes of My Take Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. If you are getting the show via iTunes, please take a moment and leave us a review. We would really, really, really appreciate it. Video versions of the show will be available on YouTube, either on My Take Radio TV or on Official Rageworks. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. We're going to be putting a lot of content on those channels, of course, on My Take Radio TV, you will be getting all the My Take Radio episodes. And on Rageworks, you're going to get all our event coverage, all our unboxings, product reviews, and countless other pieces of video footage. We're going to be sharing that on that channel exclusively. My Take Radio TV, of course, will remain in effect for episodes of My Take Radio. As always, if you want to follow everything that we're working on, you can follow us on social media. Uh, My Take Radio can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus. Rageworks, of course, can also be found on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, and Pinterest as well. And for those of you that are Tumblr users, My Take Radio is on Tumblr as well, but we are going to be changing that over to Rageworks in the coming weeks, along with some other enhancements. Again, that's going to wrap it up for this week. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio or are interested in advertising with us, drop me a line at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com thank you guys for listening my take radio returns next wednesday at 11 p.m eastern 8 p.m pacific i am out of here peace